Let's read together from God's Word. Uh, We're going to begin at the end of John chapter 15 and the good reading at verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive all he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Amen. Our family is split down the middle on hugging. Uh, I am firmly in the hug camp, but our older son and my brother hate hugs. Uh, Because they're great and because they love me, uh, they put up with me and they play along. But this is what happens. When they are leaving, I say to them, steal yourself. And they literally go like this and turn slightly away and allow me to hug them. One of the ways in which Jesus describes the Holy Spirit is as the one who would guide the disciples into all truth. It's there in verse 13. Jesus is speaking to disciples, describing the Spirit whom he was going to send to them from the Father. And this is what part of what he says, but when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Eugene Peterson, when he reflects on that verse in his translation, uh, puts it like this. 
But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and lead you into all the truth there is. He will take you by the hand and lead you into all the truth there is. I don't know how you feel this morning about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if the picture of Jesus' Spirit taking us by the hand and leading us into all the truth there is makes your heart leap with anticipation or whether you're a bit more on the stealing yourself side because you're a wee bit wary of the Spirit, a little bit afraid, maybe a little bit hurt. Whatever we feel, will we allow this image to grip us this morning? The Spirit of God as individuals and as a people, as a body, taking us by the hand so we are kept, clearly guided, taking us by the hand but guiding us into all the truth there is so we're going to move. We're on a journey. The disciples are grieving. They're focused on their own worries. Their concern that day as Jesus spoke to them isn't about what's going to happen to Jesus. Their concern is about what's going to happen to them. Jesus says, none of you ask me where I am going. Rather, you're filled with grief. And as Jesus teaches them, teaches them strongly, teaches them clearly and gently about the Spirit, who among other things will guide them into truth. Take them by the hand and lead them into all the truth there is. With that picture in our minds and on our hearts, let's pray together. Living God, we worship you. We welcome the presence of your spirit amongst us. You are the one who knows us. Our prayer is that your spirit would take us by the hand and lead us into all the truth there is. And that in the power of your spirit that we would be transformed changed, propelled out in your name to the world beyond this tent. For the glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's dig together into this passage. I'm going to read again, John 15, 26 through to 16, 2. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he'll testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. 
They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who killed you will think they're offering a service to God. Can you come back in your mind's eye to what this time leading up to the cross may have been like for Jesus and his disciples? Jesus is facing into the reality of the cross and in his prayers for his disciples and for those who would come after him, he was teaching them and we can sense a parent's heart in Jesus as he teaches them. A parent's heart for these disciples who had journeyed with him over these three years. In verse 4, we see that Jesus has thought about when is the right time to have this conversation with his disciples. Jesus knew them so well. He loved them. And he knew that they loved him. He knew that they didn't understand everything yet. He knew that sometimes they got things wonderfully right. And sometimes they got things magnificently wrong. And he loved them. And he knew. He knew that humanly speaking, the task that was beyond them was far beyond their natural capabilities. And as he prepares for his leaving them physically, he comforts them. Chapter 14, it's recorded that Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But nowhere, nowhere does Jesus say, be faithful to me and life will be easy. Nowhere. Nowhere does Jesus say, follow me and there won't be challenges ahead. Quite the contrary. The time is coming, he says to them, when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. On the occasions when I cross cross the threshold of a gym, I opt for the cross trainer. For those of you who are fortunate enough not to know what a cross trainer is, uh, it is a a machine where you stand on it with your feet on two sort of long pedals and there are arm things that you pull back and forth as you walk or sort of mimic running along. There are two reasons why I go for a cross trainer rather than a treadmill or a running machine. First reason is this. A very kind and very honest doctor friend told me that people might my age don't have the knees uh, for a treadmill and that I really shouldn't do it. And the second reason is that I have fallen off a treadmill in the gym. Uh, And while uh, the bruises are long gone, the embarrassment lingers on. So I go for a cross trainer. And when I can, the program that I choose gets harder as you go along. That is a huge mistake, I need to tell you. Because I am going along hot and sweaty. I'm not a pretty sight. And I know that this is really hard and almost as hard as I can make it. But it's made worse by the fact that I know it's going to get worse. And that the resistance is going to increase. And it's going to be even harder before I finish. 
Jesus is speaking to these disciples who have journeyed with him, who know him and who love him and whom he loves with all his heart. And he doesn't say, there, there. He says, I love you so much. It's implicit that I need to tell you it's going to get worse. The time's going to come when those who kill you think that they're offering a service to God. The Holy Spirit is promised in that context. The Holy Spirit is promised to people who know that they're at the end of their tether, just exhausted. People who know that they're not able for the challenges of the day. And if that's you this morning, if you're here but only just about, if, as Dave said on Saturday night, you're here and you're just exhausted, If you're a Christian who's living your faith in the context of your work and your home and you know that that's tough, if you're at the end of your own resources, hear this, that the Spirit of God is promised to folks like us who know that the challenges we face are far beyond us and who are still up for faithfulness, still up for the journey with Jesus. And here's the flip side of that. If, to be honest, you're here this morning and you're feeling really quite self-sufficient and feeling that you can manage by yourself, thank you, that you've got this Christian life fairly well worked out, well then maybe the truth that the Spirit wants to guide you into is reliance on God rather than your own resources. Reliance on God for the more that God has for you if you'll allow yourself to be led on with God. In his classic commentary, Leon Morris puts it like this, the Spirit is not a guide and a helper for those on a perfectly straight way who are perfectly able to manage on their own. He comes to assist women and men caught up in the thick of battle and tried beyond their own strength. I wonder, I wonder is that the truth that you need to hear this morning, that the Spirit is promised to people like you who know that they're at the end of their tether, who know that they're at the end of their own resources. I've told you this this morning, I've told you this, says Jesus, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. He wants them to know that it's going to be tough. Sometimes, we'll return to this later in the week, sometimes we associate the work of the Holy Spirit narrowly and only with the high days and only with signs and wonders. Hear this truth from Jesus himself, that the Spirit is promised for the everyday challenges of life. Now, 
says Jesus. Now things are utterly changing. And in that context, what Jesus says in verse 7 is just astounding. He says, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. For John, in his gospel, the work of the Spirit of Christ for this next time into which they were entering and in which we are now living was integrally related to the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. God's desire is that men and women and children would come to know him. The work of that saving God, Father, Son, and Spirit, extends. It extends through all of time and all of eternity with the cross front and center. The work of the Spirit's not just about isolated signs and wonders. Simon the sorcerer discovered that. The Spirit works most fully in and through the life surrendered where we know this where at the foot of the cross only when we know Jesus can we receive the spirit in all his fullness and when we know Jesus when we know Jesus those of you who've journeyed with Jesus so long when we know Jesus we should expect to receive the spirit in all in all his fullness when we know Jesus we should expect the living spirit of God to dwell within the people of God. What Jesus says on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles helps explain this for us. The Feast of Tabernacles was a very significant feast in the Jewish calendar, time of thanksgiving, when the people of Israel remembered that throughout their journey towards the land that had been promised to them, that God had been faithful. And even though they'd had so little, and even though they'd complained and grumbled, that God had been faithful and had provided for their physical and spiritual needs. They were mindful at the Feast of Tabernacles about their dependence on God and grateful to God for his provision in the past and now. And the Feast of Tabernacles, as well as looking back, looked forward. And one of the things to which they looked forward was the fulfillment of the prophecy which had been given to Ezekiel, this prophecy. It's in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, when God says through his servant, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I, says God, will give you a clean heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. If you're sitting with a heart of stone this morning, will you hear God's word to you? And on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, this is what John tells us happened. This is John chapter 7 and verse 37. 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood. Now we know that in itself that's a little bit different, because normally rabbis sit to teach. Jesus stands. So it seems as if there's an element of public proclamation going on here by Jesus in a context which John tells us was getting increasingly difficult because opposition was moving from murmuring on the edges towards the center against Jesus. In that context, in that context of challenge, Jesus stands and says in a loud voice, whoever Uh, is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, if you're following along in your own Bibles, you might notice that your footnotes tell us that there's a bit of controversy about the punctuation of those verses. But I'm going to go with the translation here in the NIV and, and in the King James and many other versions that Jesus is teaching that whoever believes in him, that rivers of living water shall flow from within them and that by that he means the Spirit. That when we believe in Jesus, the Spirit it doesn't just fill us, but overflows. That when we come to faith, the Spirit indwells and to the degree that Christians cannot help but overflow with the Spirit and be a blessing to others. But it's the clear link to the cross and to the ascension and resurrection of Jesus that I want us to note at the end of verse 39. By this, uh, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, I want us to be really careful and very, very clear here. John is not saying that the Holy Spirit was not at work before the cross and resurrection of Jesus. John is not saying that. That would not be true. It wouldn't be true in the evidence of John's gospel itself. It wouldn't be true across the whole biblical evidence. The scripture, the Spirit has been at work from the very beginning and throughout time. But there was a new age coming. And the work of that spirit in that new age, the age in which we're now living, was integrally related to the completed work of Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension. Brothers and sisters in Christ, We in Northern Ireland 
are so very, very familiar in Christian circles with theories of the atonement. Most of us. Most of us could talk for a long time about why Jesus died. We're used to explaining why the cross matters in terms of salvation and forgiveness. Here's the challenge. What if, what if we became as familiar with the truth of the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, in terms of the work of the Spirit, as we are in terms of that initial work of salvation and forgiveness. That because of the cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that the Spirit is available, rests upon and dwells within every person who comes to living faith in Jesus at the foot of the cross. The Spirit of Jesus, now universalized because of the cross and resurrection and ascension. What if those words tripped off our lips were as real in our experience as the salvation and forgiveness that Jesus offers as a result of the cross? What if we expected and spoke of and welcomed the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer as easily as we expect and speak of and welcome the fact that the believer is cleansed from sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus? Why is it? Why is it that for so many of us, the Holy Spirit's often the forgotten element of the Trinity? My mind's going back to years ago, serving in a particular church, a wonderful church, where a woman, where we, through doing the Alpha course, wanted to explore more on the work of the Spirit, and a wonderful woman of God, uh, probably in her 60s then, came to me and said, Heather, why is it that I know so little of the work of the Holy Spirit in my head and in my experience, God forgive us. What if, what if we welcomed the work of the Spirit? What if we knew, in the real sense of knowing, in our heads and in our guts and in the reality of our experience, that the Spirit of God lives in the lives of all who come to faith at the foot of the cross. The fourth century Bishop Athanasius is reported to have said, the word took bodily form so that we might receive the spirit. God became the bearer of a body so that women and men might be bearers of the spirit. He didn't say women, but I think he meant us. Listen again. The word took bodily form so that we might receive the Holy Spirit. God became the bearer of a body so that men and women might be bearers of the Spirit. If you belong to Jesus, 
You're a bearer of the Spirit. How? Well, crucially, because of the cross, because of the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, in the very shadow of that cross, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Such was Jesus' own expectation of the work of the Spirit in the lives of his disciples. The Holy Spirit can rest on all God's people because he rested first on Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit develop in the lives of God's people, not because we're nice, but because we belong to Jesus. We receive with empty hands and gratefully use the gifts of the Spirit because we are in Christ Jesus. That's true, but it's not just true because of Pentecost. It's also true because of the cross and resurrection. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, third powerful integral person in the Trinity, now made available for all who would believe, you and me. Now, what are we going to do with that? Please, please, don't relegate this truth to interesting but isolated and irrelevant facts in our heads. Please, please, Know this this morning, that if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And don't relegate that to interesting but unimportant. When our boys were young, Pokemon were fashionable. I think they made a comeback a few years ago. There were hundreds of these little creatures uh, in cartoons uh, who got up to all sorts of adventures, who even changed from one form uh, to another. And because I was trying hard to be the best mom I could be, uh, we had a Pokemon poster on the wall with pictures of all these uh, creatures with their names underneath. And now, probably 20 years later, I can still tell you the names of lots of Pokemon. Uh, Pikachu, Squirtle, Chameleon. Chameleon, all sorts, Charmeleon, they're all sorts of Pokemon. That information is there in my head, completely, utterly irrelevant to the way in which I live my life day to day. I hope and pray, it's our reputation, I hope it's the truth. I hope and pray that as Christians we are hungry for the word of God. That when we hear about the spirit of God taking us by the hand and leading us into truth, that that's something that encourages us. But hear this, the truth of God is not just with regard to our understanding, the truth of God is to be experienced. It is transformative. And maybe that's where you're sitting this morning. Actually, you could write a fairly good essay on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Actually, you've sat in Bible studies all your life talking about the Holy Spirit, but the gap, 
The gap is that that information is simply information and it sits interesting and irrelevant at the back of our minds. The truth of God is transformative in the power of his spirit. And perhaps the Spirit is drawing you this morning again to the foot of the cross to remind you, to nudge you, to disturb you, or to invite you once again to kneel at his cross and receive from God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all that God longs to give you, that you might live to his glory. Now, in some places, Luke's emphasis in his teaching on the Spirit is slightly different to the emphasis that we see in John's Gospel. There's consistency, but just difference in emphasis. It doesn't happen on this issue about the central importance of the Spirit and the fact that we should expect the work of the Spirit to be normal in the life of every Christian. Absolute consistency on this. We see that at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, Let's read Acts chapter 1. This is 1 to 4. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Even if they had been champing at the bit to get going, and I really don't think they were at that stage, but even if they had been, Even though they had journeyed with Jesus, they had heard and received his teaching, many of them had seen him die and seen him now alive and resurrected. Even with all that, they were still to wait for the Spirit who had been promised to them. They needed the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that a central challenge of this week is to wake up to the fact that the work of the Spirit should be expected. I hesitate to use the word normal because there's nothing normal about it, but normal in the life of every, every Christian person. And to be open to the work of that Spirit in our lives and in our life together. So, So let's not be afraid. Listen to what A.W. Tozer preached. In Life in the Spirit, he wrote this. If Jesus were to come in to this room walking down this aisle, there would be no stampede for the door. Nobody would scream and be frightened. 
we might begin to weep for joy and delight that Jesus had so honored this, us, but nobody, no one would be afraid of Jesus because he's the epitome of love. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is, for he is the spirit of the Father and the Son. If Jesus was to walk into this tent and down that aisle, there'd be no stampede for the door, for he's the epitome of love. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is, for he is the spirit of the Father and the Son. Let's pause before we go on and pray for a moment. Let's pray. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. Remind us that you dwell in the lives of those who follow Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Amen. Let's keep reading and reading in John 17. But if I go, verse 7b. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Isn't it really interesting? Jesus is teaching in the context of the cross, challenging, challenging days. And even though he's been saying to them explicitly, it's going to get worse, where he teaches next about his spirit who was coming to them, is not about peace. It's not even primarily about the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. He pushes them to see that the Holy Spirit's already at work in the world and will be at work in the world ahead of them. There's a job to be done. The world needs to know about Jesus. They need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. And yes, the Holy Spirit will dwell in them, will fill them and equip them. But he's also ahead of them out in the world. In this courtroom picture with the Spirit acting as advocate in what Turner calls the courtroom of culture, pressing the claims of Christ. The spirit at work out there 
in the courtroom of culture, pressing the claims of Christ. Now, the verb that John uses here, which is translated as proving the world to be in the wrong, is also translated as expose in other places. When it's used in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the sense behind it is not simply to prove a person wrong, but to persuade them that they're wrong and so to change their minds. And the specifics of that persuasion are that all people are sinful, that righteousness is only possible because of Jesus, and that judgment will come. Now, there's a clear individual application there, but I don't want us to miss the cultural application. In the wider courtroom of culture in the world, the Spirit was and is at work ahead of us, beyond us as humans. And just as surely as God chooses to partner with human beings in the individual applications as the gospel is proclaimed, so God chooses to partner with the church in that cultural application, speaking truth into culture. It's not just a sideline interest. Peter, when he prayed with the young people who stood at the front last night, pointed us to that truth. Those of you who weren't here, uh, there were young people at the front uh, as a sign of their commitment to Jesus. And Peter prayed for them and prayed for them in the wider context of culture, in politics and in all the different spheres in which they would find themselves. The Spirit pressing the claims of Christ in the courtroom of culture. Our son Dave, well, here's a wee sideline. Last night, uh, I was introducing uh, David and our family. I'm told afterwards, I noticed the giggling at the time, I'm told afterwards that I set him up as our single son and uh, uh, implicitly offered uh, that uh, he was looking for someone. Um, And apologies to him for that. Our son Dave uh, went to Calais couple of Christmases ago to work uh, at the camp there then called The Jungle. In that camp, he met a man whose name was Tuff. Tuff was a pastor in a church in London. He was in his 70s and he'd come to uh, London uh, when he was in his 20s as a refugee from Eritrea. He persuaded his son to take him across to Calais one weekend so that he could help out. But when Sunday night came and the son was going back to London, Tuff said that God had told him to stay. And stay, Tuff did, even though he could have left at any time. With others, he built a church in the jungle. He lived in a hut near the church. He ran Bible studies, cooked food for those who needed it, taught English, and became like a father figure, especially to the many young men who were fatherless in that camp. In that culture, the culture into which God had clearly called him, in the power of the Spirit, he lived the claims of Christ. In the culture into which God has called you, 
in business, economics, the shop, the bank, the school, with your friends, in your home. Spirit's already there. And he puts out his hand in an offer of partnership to human beings like us and says, will you partner with me in pressing home the claims of Christ in the courtroom of culture? I have so much more to say to you, says Jesus, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Expect, expect the Holy Spirit to dwell within the life of every believer, every Christian. That should be normal for us. Equipping us for the challenges ahead. And when we want to retreat, when we want to stay safe in our safe places, the Spirit pushes the people of God out into culture, into the world, which desperately, desperately needs to know about Jesus. The Spirit convicting, persuading, and always, always pointing to Jesus. We're challenged by the Spirit here to understand that mission can only take place in the power of God's Spirit. That it's not Christian mission if it's not in the power of God's Holy Spirit. It's only clever ideas and good strategy. I spend most of my days thinking and praying and planning about Christian mission. That's the job that the Methodist Church has asked me to do. So I find Ajith Fernando's words in his commentaries on Acts really, really challenging. Listen to this. He says, it's easy for us to get distracted and find security in other things that serve as substitutes to the Spirit of God. Excellent programming, using the best of modern technology, management techniques, and building facilities can produce impressive results. Someone once said, he writes, that 95% of what happens in many evangelical churches could be done without the Holy Spirit. May the Lord forgive us. But, he says... Christian ministry is ministry in the power of God's Spirit. Without the Spirit's power, our excellent programs are ultimately futile. And what he says about us, the church, is true individually as well. It's easy for us to get distracted and find security in other things that serve as substitutes for the power of the Spirit. Other things like our great ideas and our busyness and the program we like or the program we warm to. When I was in fifth form in school, uh, the school play was The Crucible by Arthur Miller. 
to my delight. I was cast as a character called Rebecca Nurse. I didn't look it up beforehand. My memory is that I had about 13 lines. Uh, the key one being, I've had no breakfast. And uh, in my 15-year-old mind, the play was all about Rebecca Nurse. I had 15 lines, but in my head, I was the crucial character, the one that really mattered. The play was all about me. But of course, it wasn't all about me. Mission, mission crucially will be, that's its essential feature, in the power of God's spirit Wonder of wonders, Almighty God chooses to say, you matter, you matter, I matter. Almighty God uh, invites us to lay our gifts and talents entrusted to it as his feet, that he might use them, but it's not all about us. It is all about God, and it is all about the power of his spirit, and it all depends on God. And here's the thing. I'll take a bit part in the story of what God is doing in and through eternity any day. Any day. The spirit who takes us by the hand and leads us into truth. We're guided and we are moving. Expect to be disturbed. Please, please don't sideline the spirit. Please don't think the spirit's important in that part of the church, but not really ours. To think the spirit's included in those sorts of activities, but not the rest of my life. Because of the cross, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the spirit dwells in the lives of every believer. So my invitation to you is to be bold. Be bold this week to understand more. Be hungry for more of the Spirit. I say that whether you feel empty or full, joyous or burdened. Be hungry for more of the Spirit that the Spirit might transform us and send us. If Jesus, if Jesus was to come walking into this tent... There'd be no stampede for the door. Nobody would scream and be frightened. We might begin to weep for sheer joy and delight that Jesus had so honored us, but we wouldn't be afraid of Jesus because he's the epitome of love. And that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is. For he is the Spirit of the Father, and of the Son. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We lay our lives before you, living God. Amen.